Well, for those of you with ADD, that gave you the whole message that I'm going to share with you this morning, just a few minutes. So if you got that, you've you got what Prayer for Every Home is, is about. Uh, I am your missionary here in the county, and you know a big part of what I do is uh, strengthening our existing churches and help new churches begin their ministries. And I've been doing that uh, for our county now for two years, and in doing that, I, I learned some things going on in our churches. First, God has blessed us with some incredible churches uh, here in Collin County and here in this North Texas area. I mean, churches with more resources and more education uh, than you can imagine, quite honestly. Uh, and in beginning a conversation with the churches, we started to say, well, how can we reach this North Texas area? Uh, this morning, I'm going to share with you some things about our North Texas area and, and uh, kind of give you a framework to hang the message off the, this morning. I'm going to give you three whys, two hows, and a what this morning. Three whys about prayer and this why pray for every home. Uh, two how do we do it kind of things. And then what do, do we want you to do with it this morning? Uh, at its heart, uh, began back in the fall of last year, uh, talking with some of our pastors, and in, in particular, uh, the pastor at First Baptist McKinney, um, you know, a great church, tons of resources, and, and saying, you know, we just see more and more people without Jesus in our county than with him. And what can change? And as you heard from people you know, uh, Cindy, uh, there was a heroin and, and meth uh, uh, dealer, by the way, not Cindy, in that, in that movie. Um, a guy from Manhattan, my wife, Jeanette, our communications director at, at Collin Baptist, and some others all told you, gave you accounts of how prayer changed their life and how it changes us. And at its heart, and I want to make sure I say this right off the beginning, is that when you pray, God changes you. At the same time, God chooses not to move until we ask. And that's what this is about, asking God to do something that only he can do. As uh, Richard Mark Lee and I talked about how to reach this county, he got a burden to pray for all of McKinney. And we've been doing some work with some other partners. And, and I said, uh, Richard, what if we prayed for everybody in McKinney by name? Because if originally we thought about what we often do, and maybe some of you have done, you know, we'll want to prayer walk a neighborhood and say we did that neighborhood, uh, we covered that area. But we know the kind of prayer we need is, is much more persistent and intentional than, than just a one and done. So pray for every home. I don't want you to hear that pray for every home is a one and done, that, that we get used to doing those in Christian life. You know, there'll be the next big movie, the next big... The, this is something we're asking you to get involved with and be involved with on a long-term, continuing basis. Uh, to use a little bit of a cliche, we don't want this to be a moment. We want it to be a movement of prayer. So we talked about praying for all of McKinney, and, and I said, what if we do it by name? Because we had the technology to do that. And then as we were talking, uh, you ever have God just kind of poke you at, and say, I want you to say this out loud. But inside, you, you say, if I say that out loud, I'll be held accountable to what I said. You know, that might have happened on the job, at, at home, um, where you're going to have to say something bold. And, and I was poked. And God wanted me to say, what if we prayed for all 310,000 households in our county by name? And as I said that out loud, it, that rightness when you say what God wants you to say. And, and since this has progressed, I, I've now been challenged to say out loud, what if we prayed for all 2.3 million households in Dallas-Fort Worth by name? We have enough believers, the followers of Christ, to do that. If we'll each take the 100 homes closest to our own house, 
and pray for them on a continual basis by name. It really doesn't take that many of us. Just here in our county, it just requires a few thousand, not millions, not hundreds of thousands, to pray for them all. We said that out loud, that we want to do that. Pray for everyone by name. Well, the three whys first. Why, why first of all, pray at all in general? If you're not familiar, things have changed in our nation phenomenally in the last 40 years. Uh, some of us in this room are old enough to remember what it was like in the United States 40 years ago. Let me tell you, here in our county 40 years ago, over 70% of our county were evangelical Christians. And our population was just around 300,000 people. Maybe even just 200,000 40 years ago in Collin County. And we've had about 200,000 evangelical Christians in our county for the last 40 years. Today we have about 225,000 evangelical Christians in our county. You look at the things going on in society today. The things that are happening with definitions of family, of marriage, the things going on in the world, world with wars, rumors of wars. One of those couples, the ones that were speaking another language, they were speaking Russian. They're Ukrainian. They live here in Collin County. They go to one of the churches that our, our family of churches has helped get started. They've lost family members in that war. They're, they're praying out of fervency for their, their families to know Christ and to be saved both spiritually and physically. They know prayer works. The other thing that has changed for us as Christians, just like it has there in Ukraine, is now as Christians, in particular as evangelical Christians in the United States, I know Pastor Lash has been sharing this with you some in the weeks past, but we are increasingly on the outside of culture looking in. What do I mean by that? Well, for many years, when I was 8, 9, 10, to be an evangelical Christian was to be mainstream. Nobody thought of us as bigots or homophobic or any other, other label you want to put on Christians that you hear today. We didn't need a song about my God is not dead because most people believed he was alive, right? Those are changes that are reality. And I'm going to share some numbers later on that those are realities here. But this is not new for God's people to, to suddenly find themselves after having been kind of the center of society to be on the outside and looking in. In the Old Testament, uh, the people of Israel, God's people, this happened to them many times. God would do something just amazing to rescue them, and they would worship him with fervency, and God would bless them and start to give them stuff. And as he gave them more stuff, now true or false, as he gave them more stuff, they decided to worship him more and more. Is that what happened? That's false, right? There's something perverse in humanity. The more we get blessed, we start to think we had something to do with being blessed, and we start to push God where? Out on the margins. And that's happened to society after society. And I want to point you to Jeremiah this morning. This is one of the first whys. Why pray? Jeremiah 29, chapter 29. Great book, Jeremiah, known as the weeping prophet. He was crying over the situation of his people and the fact that God was going to move them completely out of Israel and make them essentially be slaves in a foreign land and a culture that was foreign to them. And this is a passage of Scripture where God is, through Jeremiah, is telling his people, how do I want you to live as exiles in a foreign land with people that are godless, that don't believe in Jehovah God, who don't worship Jesus Christ, who don't believe in him? 
who would label these people that would move into this land as all sorts of labels. And here's what he commanded us to do. And I'd say that this applies to us today as we're going to find ourselves increasingly on the outside of culture looking in. And this has to do with with seeking God and asking him to do something. You're praying, right? Verse 7, seek the welfare of the city I have deported you to. Pray to the Lord on its behalf, for when it has prosperity, you will prosper. Then continuing in verse 11, for I know the plans I have for you. This is the Lord's declaration. Plans for your welfare, not for disaster, to give you a future and a hope. You will call to me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. I will be found by you. This is the Lord's declaration. Why pray for the city? We're praying for its welfare. Why pray for your neighbors? We're praying for their welfare, for God to prosper them. And as Christians, when we pray for their welfare, first and foremost, we're praying for their salvation, right? Because without Christ, they have no future. And just perhaps God is putting us on the outside looking in to start praying for people. And as you hear about pray for every home and what it's about, praying for them specifically by name, he's doing that so that we can be different and be seen as different, be seen as somebody that seeks others' welfare even above our own. And so he calls us to pray and to seek the welfare of the city. You'll see as numbers are shared with you later in, in, in the weeks and months ahead as, as Murphy Road participates in praying for this region, you'll be able to see progress made. From February to now, we're praying for over 80,000 homes. We added some more prayer volunteers from the morning service already, and the numbers are clicking up, and we can see that happen. And, you know, boy, how it wore my heart to see our baptistry full. And you know what I'm hearing from our churches all over the county this summer is the baptistries have been full this summer. Summer is usually not the time they're, the, they're full. We kind of wait in the fall. God's already doing some things as we are seeking the welfare of the city. Well, the second why. This is more the why for all people. Why for your neighbors? Why specifically? Turn in your Bibles to 1 Timothy chapter 2. The Apostle Paul, great missionary, writing to his young protege, gave this instruction about prayer. This is really a command about prayer. I'm an old military guy. When I was given an order, I said, yes, sir. And when God speaks and tells us to do something, what should we say? Yes, sir, right? I'm going to read it, verse 1 and then 3 and 4 uh, from NIV. Paul says, I urge then, first of all, that petitions, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for all people. This is good and pleases God our Savior who wants all people to be saved and come to a knowledge of truth. Neat passage, isn't it? He's saying, hey, I want you to do intercessions and petitions. We, we do that pretty well in our churches. Uh, one of my roles of, of strengthening churches is I visit as many of those 120 as I can. That's why I'm seldom here on Sunday morning. A lot of you say, man, who's this guy? We, he's a member here. I don't know if I've ever even seen him here. But I'm in our churches and listening and seeing what God is doing. And I want you to know he is moving in our county. The other thing I want you to know is that we have some room for improvement in what we do. In fact, we did an assessment of our churches when I first got here a couple of years ago. And one of the things, and uh, Pastor Lash participated and other pastors, 
we asked them in a survey, a confidential one, so we'd try to get this uh, a real answer. How much are you praying for God's kingdom, for all people, for people not in your immediate, that, that the lost people? Our pastors gave themselves a score of 2.8 out of 5. Well, you have to know a little bit about pastors when we score ourselves like that. Like right now, I'm preaching to a room of at least 600. It's just kind of the way we are. We're optimists. It's not that we're liars. We're just optimists, right? Okay. And then they scored their congregation. Said, well, how about your people? How do you think they're praying for those that don't know Christ? Kingdom kind of prayers. In addition to the petitions and intercessions, the things for the sick and the hurt and and those without jobs, and and those are real things. Right here in this passage, God, don't, don't hear me say God says not to pray for those. He says certainly do. But when we asked them, how were we doing in praying for people that don't know Jesus yet? They gave a score of two out of five. That's a failing score, right? A lot of you are in school. You, you get a two out of five on a test. That's a bad thing, right? You don't want to go home and tell your mom and dad about that. And, you know, as I've been out listening to churches, our, our list of intercession and petitions is a whole lot longer than our list for the all people that are lost. Our churches are blessed with, uh, I think last year we brought in something in all our offering plates, uh, 80 to $100 million just in the churches in Collin County. Pretty big number, isn't it? And then you take the value of all the properties we own, our churches, together, a rough estimate, half a billion, with a B, dollars, worth of stuff that we have. Now, that's a big number, isn't it? Don't you think we should see more than 225,000 Christians as a result of all that investment? Now, that's not, I know that's a little hard edge to, to put things that way. But when we look at are we praying for what's close to God's heart? Are we praying for his lost children, girls, boys, men, and women that don't know Jesus and asking him to do something about it and more importantly, to tell us what he wants us to do about it. We ought to be seeing different results. I want to share some statistics with you. Uh, again, part of getting to know our county is your missionary. This is what I wake up in the morning. Uh, one of my brothers and mentors in this being a missionary for a region told me, Vince, the assignment God's given you as this missionary is you're the one man that wakes up every morning thinking about this whole region. The pastor thinks about his flock and his immediate environment, and that is right and good. But the role you're given is different than what you had as a pastor when you pastored a a particular flock. And now you're the one that wakes up and and the one to keep these men and women and boys and girls as a whole, this region, in front of people. So we went to look at this region. I wanted to know, well, how are we doing? How many lost people do we have? Well, I mentioned in 1990, we just had around 300,000 people in our county. In 2000, we had around 435,000. In 2010, we had over 825,000. And before the end of next year, we'll have over 900,000 girls, boys, men, and women in this county. Now, some of you that grew up here, that's a big number, isn't it? Uh, Judge Keith Self told me by 2025, they're estimating two and a half million people in Collin County. God is bringing girls and boys and men and women who need to know Jesus to us. 
We look at these numbers, 24% is all that's evangelical. And year after year, that number gets smaller. It's probably closer to 23% today because those numbers are 2010 numbers. The other number I want you to see is that 48%. 400,000 girls, boys, men, women. They are religiously unaffiliated. What do we mean by that? Not only are they not Christian, they're not Hindu, they're not Buddhist, they're not Muslim, they are nothing. They have no affiliation religiously with anybody or anything. Does that stagger your mind that there's that many people that have no religion right here in what we used to call the Bible Belt? It did me. Now, the other number, and these are even harder to reach, the 29% that have some other belief. But that 48%, here's some good news about them. They believe, vast majority of them believe there's a God. They think spirituality is important. They even, if you ask them who are the three most famous people in the world, in the top three every time would be Jesus. Now, we ask them about church. Not good news there, especially evangelicals like us. They start to use pejorative words. In other words, they call us bad things that we don't like to hear, right? We've got some work to do there. And that's another reason on why to pray. I have learned as I pray, God changes me. You know, God is not surprised really by anything I have to tell him. He's not surprised by anything you have to tell him in prayer, is he? But it's when we listen to him through reading his word and, and in that quiet time of prayer that he starts to change us. And if we're going to see the change in the lostness here in our county, I'm convinced we have to start praying like we've never prayed before. Uh, Ronnie Floyd, the president of our Southern Baptist Convention, uh, in a prayer meeting a few months ago, said, we live in a time where we need extraordinary prayer. And then he went on to say, I'm not sure what extraordinary prayer is, but it's a whole lot more than I'm doing now. How about you? And that's our call. Our vision here in the county for this, another one of these things that saying out loud, you kind of swallow a pastor lashes on our leadership team as we put this stuff together to say, what do we want to do as a family of churches? We want to be able to say with integrity that every one of us here live for the day when every girl, every boy, every woman, and every man in our region experiences a living witness to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that living witness means that a real live human being who cares about the person they're looking at and who loves them with the love of Christ is able to share verbally what the gospel is with them at some point in their life. Now, that's a big thing to say, to say that we want that for everyone. Well, why do we say that? Is because that's what God wants, right? Second Peter 3.9, jot that down. Uh, just great verse to remember. You know, I often wonder, and especially my, my older friends wonder, you know, why hasn't Jesus come back yet? As bad as the world seems to be and all the bad news we get day in and day out. I don't, know about, I don't even like to watch the news anymore, it just, especially lately. You know, there's going to be another ISIS attack, another something in the Ukraine, another bomb. Uh, but here's why he's slow in coming. 2 Peter 3, 9. The Lord is not slow about his promise, as some understand slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. Why does God wait? It's he has a heart for every one of his children. and He doesn't want a single one to go to hell. 
but instead he desires that we would all repent and believe in Jesus Christ. And that's the burden and the hope that I, I, I pray that, that God lays on your heart today. Uh, England, a century ago, became post-Christian. One of the preachers preaching during the time of that transition, Charles Spurgeon, said in 1860 about his hope and his burden. He said, if hell must be filled, at least let it be filled in the teeth of our exertions and let not one go unwarned and unprayed for. That's our prayer. Why are we asking you to sign up and pray for your hundred closest neighbors? Because we have the ability to, to know if we, if we prayed for everyone in our county. That's a starting point, right? Praying for every girl, every boy, every woman, and every man. And that brings me to the third why. Why by name? Well, what's in a name? Does a name matter? Doesn't it feel good when you walk in and Pastor Lash remembers you by name with all the people that come and go here? I mean, it's always nice to be greeted by name. That means somebody cared enough to pay attention. Well, here's the good news, is, and this might be the only reason God even wanted you in this service today, is to remind you that he knows you by name. Jesus said in John 10, 3, the sheep hear his voice, and he's speaking about his own voice in this passage. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls them his own sheep by name and leads them out. Leads them out of captivity. Leads us to life. God knows you by name. Isn't that incredible? The God of the universe knows each one of us by name, but he knows not only each one of us, he knows everyone by name. And he's not the only one. Did you know Amazon knows you by name? I bet you knew that, didn't you? Uh, Walmart knows you by name. Uh, look in your email and see where they're coming from. Those people, they know you by name, don't they? Do you ever get any of those uh, emails or, or, or direct mails that say, hey, Vince, we talked as if they know me by my informal name. But God really knows you inside and out by name. There's also another place that name's really, really important, and that's when this old world does finally roll up and is changed and there becomes a new world, a new heaven, a new earth. Uh, there will be a judgment day. And God will open a book called the Book of Life. And trust me, your name will matter tremendously to you when he opens up that book, whether it's in there or not. Revelation 20:15. if anyone's name was not found written in the Book of Life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Well, that's one of the things the world doesn't like about us evangelicals. We say if we sin and we don't ever reconcile with God through Jesus Christ, we go to hell. They don't like to hear that they're sinners, and they don't like to hear that there's a judgment, and they want to believe there's some other way to heaven. Only problem with that, that's not what God said, is it? God said there's one way to heaven, and that's through Jesus Christ. Belief in him by faith through grace. Your name matters to God, and he wants it in that book of life. The names of your neighbors matter to God. He knows every one of them, and his word is plain. He wants and desires nothing more than they repent and that he be, be able to write their name in his book of life. He desires that none would perish. Those are the three whys. Now how? One of the only things recorded in Scripture that the disciples said, Jesus, teach us how to do this, happens to be prayer. Look in, <coughs> excuse me, look in Luke chapter 11. 
This is the Lord's Prayer, a pattern for prayer, and I'm just going to highlight it briefly. Uh, probably not the form you're most familiar with the Lord's Prayer, but it goes like this. Now, it came to pass as he, Jesus, was praying in a certain place that when he finished, one of the disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John also taught his disciples. So Jesus said to them, when you pray, say, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as in heaven. Give us day by day our daily bread and forgive us our sins for we also forgive everyone who is indebted to us. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. That's New King James Version. A pattern of prayer is what he gave us in the Lord's Prayer. And I have to confess, I have always been a little more focused on the give us this day our daily bread and lead us not into temptation and deliver me and help me forgive people. I have been a little more self-centered on prayer. But the very first part of the prayer is probably, not probably, it is the first part of the prayer on purpose, right? What's it say? Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. At the heart of this praying for every home, that's what we're asking Jesus to do, is to reconcile those who don't know him to his kingdom's rule and reign. It's that simple. God wants us to spend as much time in prayer praying for his kingdom to reign in the lives of those around us as we do for the things that we need. It's always been amazing that give us this day our daily bread. He doesn't even tell us to ask him. He just says tell him to give it to us. He's going to do that. But he begins in this pattern saying pray for the things of the kingdom. Pray for it to come. Pray for him to reign in the lives of those around us. Will you pray that way? That's, that's how he wants us to pray. He's given us a simple pattern. We could preach days and days and years and years on prayer. So I'm just touching briefly. The second how is how does this thing work called pray for every home? Well, we're using some technology. It's that simple. I mentioned Amazon knows where you live. Well, we have access to the same kinds of stuff Amazon has to, just public data. Uh, think about this reverse phone book lookup, you know, kind of white pages kind of stuff. <coughs> Excuse me. We ask you to go to prayforeveryhome.com. That's pray number four. Every you can do it right now. Pull out your smartphone if you got it. This is a, a time for the students. You absolutely want you're you're fine to be on your phone, on your iPad. Uh, sign up today. There's a place to under prayer volunteer to register. Uh, when you get go through it, just simple questions that it asks. We won't sell your email. We don't do that. Uh, you get to decide if you want to hear from Pastor Lash to get encouragement to pray, to get encouragement from others. You're in control of all of that. Just go ahead and, and register, and Jeanette will be here after the service to help. Uh, again, uh, next, just simple things to go through, simple questions. You can do it in about two minutes, and you're going to get a list. Boy, <coughs> pardon me. And on that list, it uses Google Maps. Uh, you can pray from your own household. You can walk your neighborhood and pray it. And, and you'll see names. And what we're asking you to do is pray for five households one day, and the next day pray for the next five on your list. You actually touch those or, or check them off. They drop to the bottom of your list. There's a place to keep notes on each house as God starts to give you chances to interact with the neighbors. On the far uh, right side, you'll see if other people in your neighborhood are also praying. You can decide to go pray together. And by the way, you get to decide whether they get to even know if you're praying in that neighborhood or not. You're in control of all of that, not us. 
And that's what we're asking you to do. And we give you things, next slide, lots of things on how to pray and what to pray, scripture-based prayer, um, areas of articles from pastors. I hope to get one from Pastor Lash here up here the next, next week or so. Um, we've got connections with Billy Graham's Evangelistic Association, with our North American Mission Board, all sorts of things. I, I don't have time to go through everything that's available, but we've put together uh, everything we could think of that you'd, you'd want to, to have at your fingertips on how and what to pray for people. And remember, these are God's children. These are boys and girls and men and women, the vast majority of whom do not know Jesus. They are not followers of Jesus. And as you heard in the video, you know, the outcome that we want to see and that we believe because it's right there in Scripture. God chooses not to move until we, his children, ask him to. I'll never understand why he chose to do that, but he's sovereign. He gets to decide. He says, I'll move when you ask. And as we pray, it moves God's heart, God's heart and hands. And as we pray, pretty soon we find out that you're the heart and you're the hands that he's moving to do something for those neighbors. I've been doing this since really January. We launched it with our first church in February. My wife, Kimberly, she'll tell you, evangelism has never been so easy. I hesitate to even say that because most of you hear the word evangelism, you get a little scared. We've been praying for our neighbors. They walk up into our yard. One of them followed us into the garage and into the house on Easter Sunday that lived six doors down. said, I've been wanting to meet you. And they tell us all their hurts and cares. Three of them are men in their 70s whose 40-something-year-old sons just went through divorces. And they walked and said, what do I do? My boy's hurting. And, and these older men are, are nominal Christians. They don't go. They're, they're Christmas and Easter guys. They sit back on the back edges. You might even, some of you might even be here today that fit that category for and then God uses us to love them and care for them and speak the words of hope that are the gospel to be a living witness to Jesus for them. God's taken a neighbor behind us that, that's also a believer and, and they're a young couple in their late 20s and moving them to say we need to start doing these things in our, in our community. God's moving. And that's what we hope to see and believe and know we'll see that God moves us through praying to caring to sharing the good news of Jesus Christ we see people restored to God, and we start to see a community transformed. You know, nobody wants to live in exile, do they? None of us want to be a Christian in a post-Christian society. That, that's frightening. But all of that can change if we pray. So I want to leave you with uh, what we call in the preaching world uh, the ask. What is it we're asking you to do today? Murphy Road's already engaged as a church. Our, our church is part of this effort. Uh, your giving helped put it all together, so you've already done that one. I'm asking each one of you individually to become a prayer volunteer. Please sign up and pray and see what God will do. Our God does answer prayers. Prayer does matter. God will move. Will you be a volunteer today? Then I'm asking you to invite other Christians you know to participate. They don't have to be a part of Murphy Road Baptist Church. You know other Christians. And say, will you be a part of this? And again, this isn't an effort where we're going to necessarily plant a sign or put up billboards saying, we are praying for Collin County. 
we're doing a little more of what Jesus said, going into that quiet closet, and, and uh, we're talking amongst ourselves. We want you to tell the stories of what God's doing with each other on Facebook, Twitter, however you want to tell them. But primarily for our family, the family of God, to talk about how great and amazing our God is. Because as we pray, he will do great and mighty things. He already is. And he has been since time immemorial, and he will until Jesus comes back. So will you pray? Will you be a volunteer? In just a minute, and I'll hand things over to Pastor Lash, we're going to take the Lord's Supper. And uh, it's one of the things I miss as a pastor, being able to administer some of these, the Lord's Supper and baptism. I rejoice as a church member now. But I remember as a pastor the thing that I was asked more often than any other question was, Pastor, what is God's will for my life? And I can say to you with all integrity that praying continually is God's will for your life. I want to leave you with 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 16 to 18. They say this. Rejoice always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances. For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. This was the verse I shared more often than the other when I said, what is God's will for me? Because usually when you ask that, you want something in black and white, and I know it usually has to do with some other area of your life. But you look at this passage, it has to do with every area of life, doesn't it? God's will for you is to rejoice in whatever's taking place in your life at this moment, whatever you encounter as you start praying for your neighbors. Rejoice. He wants you to pray always. Never quit praying. Give thanks. This is God's will for you. I believe with all my heart this is God's will for you to start praying for those around you continually and rejoicing. God bless you. Thanks for the time this morning.